0: leaders really connecting the work that people are doing for the organization to that end result is something that I've seen that's missing and that companies are trying to do. So being able to say, gosh, that feature that you worked on, you know, really had this impact in our ability to sell to this customer and they love it for these reasons.
1: Yeah,
0: Having that Brought to the table and really understanding the value that you personally are adding every day is so important. And not
2: all leaders are adept at doing that. Welcome to the HR LD podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies and the values and behaviours that drive organisational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking and achieve significant HR success. Hello and welcome back to
1: the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Day, CEO at JGA Recruitment Group and we're a specialist HR recruiter. Now today I'm really excited to welcome a new guest to our show, someone who is very advanced in the world of not just HR but also learning and development. Because today I'm joined by VP of People and Culture at WorkRamp, Meredith Now, Meredith possesses over 19 years of experience identifying and developing potential. And during this time, I think it's fair to say she's learned a number of valuable lessons, but one in particular that stands out above all the rest. Companies need to be more human, something we're hearing an awful lot about in the world of HR at the moment. And we're going to be tackling it right here right now on today's show. Now, Meredith believes in weaving both empowerment, belonging and engagement into every fibre of the employee experience. And it's this vision of a workforce that makes her role as VP of People and Culture at WorkRamp really, really exciting, because she now has the opportunity to work with clients, to really show them the infinite power that lifelong learning and employee experience can have. On an organisation, she's grown teams from 130 to over 2,000 in the past, and I'm sure she's learned a lot of valuable lessons along the way. So we'll be getting into that, particularly from the perspective of HR. And she says that she's seen the rationale of, I like, quote, "I want to work in HR because I like people," and that often ends in a lot of disappointment and burnout, (laughs) because it sets up the HR practitioner to be disappointed by the reality that actually we don't always love everyone that we work with. Uh, Or worse, they could be quite challenging, should we say. There can sometimes be a need for them to like us as much as we want to make them happy. And there's lots of complications around that we're going to explore today on today's show. So we're going to talk about why people can perhaps go into it for the wrong reasons, but more importantly, the power that can be had if you go into HR for the right reasons. So without further ado, let me welcome Meredith Fish to the HR L D podcast. How are you doing today, Meredith?
0: I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Super excited today. A really exciting level of conversation today because this is on everyone's agenda at the moment. You're making HR more yes. human. Before we jump into that, though, I'm going to ask you one question. i ask all of my guests on, on the show, which is this. What do okay. the words human resources mean to you?
0: It means somebody who is there as a coach and a guide, not only for that moment in time that you need them, but for your whole career.
1: Love that. Love that. All the way through the employee cycle. Well, let's talk about that Absolutely. then. Because in HR, it may not be for everyone. I think I highlighted a little bit in my introduction there that one of your more <laughs> controversial points is actually that you may like people. That might mean that HR isn't for you. Tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that. <laughs>
0: I'm always concerned when I'm interviewing new professionals in the HR space and they say, I want to be in HR because I love people. And I think to myself, well, you're going to be sorely disappointed (laughs) then. (laughs) So if you're going into HR because you just want to be surrounded by people and that's where you get your energy, that's a great quality to have. I also think you need to be grounded in reality that while everybody might have really great qualities. Not everybody is really great to work with. You're going to see the underside of being in a business. You'll see people lie. You'll see people manipulate, have poor performance, have poor performance and get paid three times as much (laughs) as you. So you can become really disheartened. And I've seen those, especially those early in career, after six months, they come to me and they say, I can't do this anymore. Uh, Either, you know, they've seen too much of the negative side or if they're highly empathetic, you know, you're helping employees through really challenging times. You can see them, you know, go through illnesses themselves, deal with loss of loved ones, and it just it wears on you. You know, you go home and well most of us are already home. Yeah. Um, so you, you leave for the day and it's just, it's really hard. So you have to go into HR with a healthy balance of wanting to be there for people, wanting to influence, wanting to coach, wanting to help, but also know that it's not always going to be pretty.
1: Now you've got, a mentioned introduction, 19 plus years in this world. You're embedded in the world of HR from the start. So I'm assuming this is speaking from experience, would that be safe to say? And there might be some <laughs> listening to this going, am I okay to say I don't like everyone that I support? Is that okay as an HR perspective? Tell me your your background has led you to this, I guess this thought process that says, actually, maybe yeah. that was the wrong reason that potentially I went into the profession. What, what were your motivations?
0: So I... Kind of fell into HR by accident. I was actually a journalism major of all things, and that required multiple internships. And so one of my internships, I really wanted to learn just business in general. So I worked for a major retailer and essentially ran a small business throughout the whole Holiday season. And so I had to interview and staff my own team. And the HR leader watched me and she said, You're pretty good at this. I think you should come work as my coordinator. I was like, Great. You know, I'll make twice as much. I still have a year left of school. I'm paying for it myself. This is perfect. And I liked being around people. I still like being around people, but I quickly saw that. You know, I went in with this Pollyanna, you know, rose colored glasses attitude that this is going to be great. Every day is going to be fun. And again, quickly learned that there are some really hard things that come across your desk, whether it's, like I mentioned before, an employee going through something difficult personally or, they're having poor performance or they did something nefarious you're kind of dealing with all these things in addition to being a support to running the business because one of the most important things for a successful organization is your people so you have all these balls in the air and luckily i liked it and i liked the challenge of it and you know if you're not getting along really great with someone you're supporting I like to think of it as a challenge. How do they communicate? How can I better communicate with them? What's holding us back from building a relationship? Have they had a poor experience with human resources in the past? And at the end of the day, you have to remember, <laughs> those of us in the USA, you don't have to sit down to Thanksgiving dinner with them. You know, you're not uh-huh. taking them home with you. You're not taking them home meet your family. So you can leave it behind. And over time, That was the most important lesson I learned is that you have to give it space and not take everything personally.
1: It's interesting there. Just just listen to the words you've used. You said it's an interest lesson that I learned to take. So Mm -hmm. maybe have you got some insight then into some of the consequences there might be for those that have gone into the wrong reasons? I'm not necessarily saying you are one of those individuals, but certainly (laughs) you had to make that adjustment, right? By, By learning to leave it at work. What are some of the consequences you've come across for those that perhaps have gone in for the, as you say, the wrong reasons?
0: Yeah. It's mainly burnout. And, you know, if you're leaving the end at the end of the day and feel like all the energy was completely sucked out of you, uh, you need to kind of reevaluate, you know, why, why are you there? Was it for this love of people and you're completely disillusioned, you know, find the good and you have to find those small wins. So what I've usually coached folks in that situation is, okay, this has been a really difficult week, month, year, Tell me five things that went well. So did you perhaps lead a great training and you know folks took something away or did you help someone solve a problem? Maybe you evaluated something in the business and made a suggestion. So finding those small wins and putting those all together will help you out because HR can be a thankless job. We're behind cool. the scenes kind of influencing and making things happen. It's not the sexy role, like the go-to-market friends, right? Who are out there making all the sales. So you really have to find what is intrinsically motivating to you. And usually it's those those small things that you can build upon. So I encourage my team to do a, an evaluation at the end of the week, five minutes, write down what they're really proud of for that week, their accomplishments, what challenges they overcame. So they can look back on those bad days and say, no, there's there's a lot of good here too.
1: Yeah, and suppose it's a bit like a work-based gratitude journal of sorts, right? So sort of yes. reminding yourself of the of the wins. I think it's interesting. It, it throws up a question for me. I'm not sure what your take is on this, but you get a lot of reports saying we need to create a workplace culture where you you feel comfortable enough, it's psychologically safe enough, we can bring our whole selves to work, right? But I think that throws up an interesting challenge because. From listening to what you've said, I would also argue if you bring your whole self to work, it makes you quite vulnerable, potentially, because you're going to take your whole selves back again. So Mm -hmm. in terms of that coping strategy, often we've got different identities. And I know that um, this is a lot of work that I'm sure you've done with your own team, but I've got the Nick at the podcast host. I've got Nick, the MD, Nick, the dad, Nick, the father, if I'm being strict, you know, whatever it might be. What's your thought on that concept then of being comfortable enough to bring your whole self to work? You want to help others. Or does that, in the world of HR in particular, lead us into a dangerous space of vulnerability?
0: You know, I think it's okay to be vulnerable. What I mean by that is, for example, with my own team, I try to tell them, you know, today is a really rough day. I've definitely cried in team meetings. Okay. Uh, And, you know, showing them that I'm a leader, but I'm also human. And things do impact me. I think that allows your colleagues, your team, those with whom you're working, to let their guard down a little bit and understand that it's okay to have feelings and emotions. Now, my disclaimer, my little asterisk okay. is in a professional, productive way, right? If you're doing that every day, we probably need to evaluate You know, what's going wrong. Is this the right role for you? But bringing your whole self to work for me means that I can be myself. I can joke around. I can have a personality. And I've worked in a financial services organization where I felt like I had to literally put a mask on every day and be this professional robot. We've morphed now into we can you know, bring our personalities to work, talk about things that are interesting to us and motivating to us and be able to show when, you know, maybe things aren't going right. And I think that helps everyone out with that imposter syndrome that we all have as well.
1: Yeah, I can understand that. I know that if I'm doing a good meeting, like it makes me excited. I know if Mm -hmm. I'm going to a bad meeting, though, right? And you know it's going to be bad. Like I'm as I swear I'm as anxious about that as the individual that knows they're having the meeting. Like it's not something that we just don't like to address. It makes us feel the same as the experience we're trying to deliver. I guess with that thought process in mind, what would be the makeup in your experience of someone that would have the right personality traits, whatever it might be, that would make up the perfect HR? Professional if such thing even exists. What yeah, I was going to say,
0: I don't know if that exists. Um, I would say some of the key qualities, yes, you do have to like being around people. However, you have to be grounded in reality to know that people are going to disappoint you and you have to be able to be okay with investing time in someone and having them disappoint you or not return that investment. So as long as you can put space between that, you'll be successful. Also someone with a high level of emotional intelligence, sure, being able to read the room, sit on a, a Zoom call with someone and read reactions and adjust to the, according to the music played. You know, you don't want to be doing some kind of hip hop beat while someone else is salsa-ing. Yeah. so you have to be able to really understand and communicate in the way that someone wants to be communicated with. And also, I think it goes under-recognized that those of us in HR are critical to the business. We should have an interest in having business acumen, understanding not only the organization that we're in, but the market that we're in, the macroeconomics of it all, and being interested in that and using that knowledge to then influence the business to be successful. So as long as all those things sound exciting to you, I think you'll be a great HR professional.
1: I love that. You know, the reason I love it, I wasn't sure you were going to go there at the end. I was, thinking, I was listening to your answers thinking, oh, these these skills, I, I, I know I'm in agreement with, empathy, good IQ, uh, EQ, understand mm-hmm. all of that. But these are all soft skills. I was like, where are the hard skills coming in here? Maybe that's the mm-hmm. bit there. You mentioned the business element. Yeah, That's, I guess, potentially the way that stops you from making a decision for of being, say, for example, in a meeting and you're scared to offend, the other person starts crying. You've got to make a hard decision regardless, right? And if you know the business elements there, it helps you to follow through with that decision. It's not just thinking about the individual, it's thinking about the bigger whole, right? What are some of the other harder skills then we need to consider in in your view that makes a, a great HR professional?
0: The ability to consume and analyze data. That is something that is so critically important. You know, you can do all types of programs and all these warm, fuzzy things, but what's your return on investment? (laughs) You know, are you retaining people at a higher rate? Is your business more successful? Are they more productive? So those analytical skills, I think, are very important. So the ability to consume and analyze data, a tactical skill that goes under-recognized as well is excellent business writing you're going to be writing emails you're going to be writing business proposals business cases all types of different things and that's something that I've recognized that those who are strong writers and strong communicators in general are more successful and depending on where you want to go and this is probably softer skill so I'm backtracking here that's no, okay um, but but strong executive presence so the ability to deliver information, communicate in a way that is polished and professional, so people actually hear you.
1: Sure, sure. I think that's relevant as well for the modern HR professional at the minute. I mean, we're trying to HR professionals at the minute are spinning so many plates. There's so mm-hmm. many trends that come in. You know, I would say you've got to try and manage a, a, a good EDI scheme. You've got trying to manage organizational development. People going to global workforces, and you've got the employee issues of day to day. You know, you've you've obviously had to go into new businesses like WorkRamp. Tell me about some of the experiences you've had in going in and sort of trying to understand a culture, but then also change it if it needed changing to make it more empowering, more belonging. Which I know are things that you're really passionate about. Tell me a little bit about your mm-hmm. own journey there in, in in that move.
0: Something executives and leaders do wrong is come in hot with some kind of idea of what they want everything to be and try to implement it quickly. So my methodology is to observe. How am I seeing people interact in meetings? How am I seeing leadership share business results and share what's going on in the business? What are they doing with that information and how are they interacting? Are they giving each other direct feedback? Is it more like whispers in the corner? And after observing, I kind of come up with my own idea of what the culture is and what gaps there might be. And an example is, and work ramp is amazing. And I, it truly is the perfect marriage. I can tell by
1: your body language. For those that are just listening, like your whole face is just lit up as you just yeah, mentioned the they're... word WorkRamp. That. That's fine. Yeah.
0: It's a great environment. But something that I noticed when I was kind of observing is, gosh, they don't give each other a lot of direct feedback. There is some, but we could do more. So, that was something that after observing and kind of gut checking myself with some other leaders and even individual contributors, asking them what they thought about that, I realized that we had the opportunity to enhance that to become a more feedback rich culture. So okay. we developed some, some trainings around that. Also, you can't change a culture overnight. So you have to figure out what are the business results I want to obtain. Where's our culture now? And what do we need to infuse into the culture in order to obtain those business results? So even though you walk into an organization and the culture might not be something that you're like doing backflips over, it it might be getting the business results that the organization wants. Sure, Uh, But really tying things to that end goal is critically important.
1: Well, yeah, and it sounds like a brilliant example. It sounds like you've had to get by and for, you know, a relatively what might sound like a, a straightforward, simple change, but can actually have a huge mm-hmm. impact that improving that feedback loop, right? For, for staff. I have to ask the question because your whole face lit up when I asked about WorkRamp. <laughs> it's a great place to work. Tell me about why it makes it a great place to work. There'll be people listening to this going, you know what? I love HR, but I don't love where I work. And what does a great place to work feel like? You know, it, it's a bit like watching a Disney movie and you see love and you go, that's what love feels like. But we all, try, <laughs> hard to find, right? Your face lit up. So tell me about why, why WorkRamp ticks a lot of those boxes for you
0: first of all, it was the product. I have this HR background. I've led learning and development teams. It's a great learning management system. So that was the first thing I looked at is, is this product even good? And it's sure. great. So that check that box. What I loved about it immediately, just from the interview process, and I had been at my prior company for nine years, so I obviously really enjoyed that organization yeah. as well. But it was the leadership team and how much they really listened and were open to new ideas and open to feedback and alternative ways of doing things that I was like, yes, I can go in there, make suggestions, influence the business and really make an impact. Something else that I loved is that they already had great foundational elements and I haven't had to do a whole lot, you know, right. on the DEIB front. They, it was, it's an inclusive environment. They had great programs. We have strong ERGs, and folks genuinely want to help each other. I have yet to find a situation where I've slacked someone, given someone a random call, put a meeting on a calendar, and they've said, uh, "No, I, that's not my job." Everyone is super willing to help and jump in and learn that is so unique to be able to find anywhere and it's truly like my version of a disney movie i'm snow white i'm at work ramp you know (laughs) all the birds are singing it's it's a really great organization
1: it's good there's there's an irony in there somewhere though which kind of says that the reasons you think people shouldn't get into hrs it's this like lovely people there's none of that and it sounds like you've kind of found that environment so actually if that was your first job in hr (laughs) maybe it is all the things you you, yeah (laughs) you're saying to people it may not be right
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely hard days and challenging situations that we deal with. And every business does. And I was joking around with my team on Friday. And I said that um, our jobs would be so much easier if we didn't have to work with people because (laughs) they're the unknown, right? Data, you could predict, you can look at the numbers, people you can't definitely an art, not a science.
1: No, I get that. I mean, I work in a world of recruitment. I think it's the only uh, product you can, if if you were to commoditize it into a product that where the product can change their mind at any point, and it's the can be the most frustrating thing in the world. Right, yes. you get to the end, and you know you sell a phone; it can't change its mind. It's sold, and it's uh, it gives you a unique set of challenges when you're working with people for sure. I want to move on to a little bit about the work ramp and the work you do because there's some great stuff for the L and D uh, population. Listen to this show as well, but. Going back to your first thing of, you know, don't go into HR necessarily for the wrong reasons. If you think it's all about loving people. I wonder if you could sell the career of HR without using people as part of that remit. So for the things Mm -hmm. you love, how would you sell HR to an individual, someone who's keen to come into a new profession, a graduate perhaps as a career in HR, but taking the people element away? How would you sell it?
2: Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more.
0: I would sell it on, you have the ability to influence the business. Can I use the term others, except for people? (laughs) You have the opportunity to influence the business through others, through data, through workforce planning, and to see that end result. So if you like driving value and seeing a return on investment of your own time, HR is a great career because that's truly what it's all about.
1: That's the back of a book written right there. There you go. In the future. But let's, we mentioned at the start, your VP of People and Culture at WorkRamp, clearly a business you love working for, a fairy tale business almost. Uh, it is an all-in-one learning platform that drives business outcomes for those that aren't aware of it. But it's, it, it's very much built for the new era of work. I wonder if you can just tell the audience that are listening now who may be not familiar with WorkRamp, maybe they're thinking about changing their L&D system or perhaps bringing one in for the first time. Yeah what WorkRamp doing and, and how it specifically it, it, it's relevant to the, as you say, this new world of work.
0: When I've gone shopping for learning management systems in the past, you know, I looked at all the big players because I was with larger organizations and I realized that I was remiss and not looking at, you know, maybe some smaller organizations. And what I love about Work ramp is that it really takes that old concept of learning management systems and makes it flexible and nimble, not only for the user, but also for the admin. And, you know, we we want the cool end user results, right? As LMD professionals, but what you sometimes miss is looking at what is your experience going to be, right? Okay. Administering it. And what I love is that it really gives you an opportunity to embrace this growth mindset. So the example I provided earlier, right, around the the feedback, and I was like, gosh, you know, we just need some tools. I was able to go into WorkRamp and create a guide. I hadn't been trained yet because I was still relatively new. And I was able to figure it out and get a guide done in like a day. So it's user-friendly. It's really the opportunity to make your business unstoppable. Because as you see different gaps, you can build content And build a program that really drives business results. And as I mentioned earlier, that's what it's all connected to, right? We want to get those results. We want to be a successful organization. So this really helps you get there, not only for your employees, but then also it can be leveraged for your customers and partners. So it's really kind of a one-stop shop, which is unique as and well it, and it
1: gives you an, an opportunity as an HR professional to influence change which I know is something you said you're passionate about earlier it's not a controversial show but I'm going to give you a, a what I would see as quite a challenging question so prepare yourself okay. only because I'm speaking to someone now who's got as you know 19 years experience in HR you've done some wonderful things you've grown great businesses you've now joined an L&D business or an LMS business that as you say, all in one platform for others but I've seen you online write articles and do talks about how learning and development is not a silver bullet which for me sounds challenging to be writing and talking about those <laughs> things when you now work for an lms companies so tell me a little bit right. more about your view you know why is learning development not a silver bullet and what's your take
0: most of the hr and L&D professionals out there listening probably have had this experience where you're having a conversation with a leader and they're addressing a problem so let's say that you know i'm not getting the pipeline i need i need a training okay cool, I'll do a training for you, but that's not going to solve your problem in totality. So it is not a one-stop shop. You can't have someone just watch a video and do an in-person training and solve the problem. If that was the case, all these compliance and mandatory trainings we have, we should not have any compliance issues or any sexual harassment, but guess what? Still out there. So it's not going to completely solve your problem. You really have to take this holistic approach and have that leadership buy-in and move beyond the training, right? Really identify what is the root cause of this problem? So that analytical mindset, be an investigator, Address it by creating a thorough learning program and then determine how you're going to measure results and who's responsible for that and driving that continuation throughout the business. Because all of us as HR learning development professionals, we can't sit next to our employees and whisper in their ear and say, remember that training, you know, do it that way. (laughs) So there has to be more to it.
1: So it has a place, but as you say, it has to have more tourists. Let me uh, me tap into that then. You've got the HR angle, the HR brain that's been an experience that's been there for many years of growing companies. You're now at the cutting edge of LMS tech, working for a tech company. What are some of the, I guess, common... HR andor L and D practices that perhaps were in place pre-pandemic. And I don't know I want to kind of come away from the pandemic being this sudden change thing, but it mm-hmm. has advanced the world of HR and L and D significantly that we're not seeing any more that significantly changed that are that are, I guess you're seeing more and more now, and that we perhaps could be quite excited about in the future.
0: Let me paint a picture for you. I'll take you through my whole Love history of learning and development. Visual
1: learner. That's good. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: When I first started out, and this is totally going to date me, but you all <laughs> already know how long I've been in HR. So I've been in recruitment okay.
1: for 20 years. We must be serious. That's fine. <laughs> I'll take that. It's all right. It's all good.
0: So, you know, training back when I started out, we sat in a room, a break room or a training room, and someone wheeled in the TV and the VCR. And they popped in a tape and you watched it. <laughs> you signed a form that said you did. And you went about your day right? And that was pretty much it. And thankfully, right, it's morphed from then to really going beyond just that in-person training or that video to incorporate practicing on the job, doing some social learning, and really doing that approach of the 70 2010 model. So 70% of your learning is on the job and experiential, is social learning. So teaching others, learning from others. And that 10%, that's the self-paced learning in the classroom, that instructional element. So we really need to lean heavily on all three to incorporate a a thorough program that's going to be successful.
1: Okay. We're seeing in the news at the minute in the world of HR in particular. I'm sure it's the same for LD as well, you know, performance now is not about necessarily what you earn. It's about finding value and purpose in what we do. It's not working Mm -hmm. from here, but working from here. I'm putting my heart at the moment. We need purposeful work to have productive work. And we know studies show that the more purposeful we are in our work as employees, actually, the bigger the impact on bottom line. So Uh what can HR professionals do now to ensure the work they're doing and the employees they're serving, should I say, are continuing to find purposeful work and they say they never stop learning, never stop growing? Are there practices and things or or processes that you've seen work particularly effectively in in, in that area?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So in HR, I think it's really important to have that connection with leaders and with those kind of on the front lines, making sure you're having those conversations to understand what are the skill gaps that we're seeing? What is preventing us from being that much more successful. And then taking that information and developing a strategy to address it. So taking that blended learning approach, what what resources, what tools can we give them? Um, do folks need mentorship? Do we need a better onboarding program? So really understanding what those elements are that are missing and creating a plan to address it. And then something that we often forget, measuring those results. So what data can we con- collect? How can we analyze it to make sure that we're doing the right things?
1: Are you, are you seeing any particular trends in relation to that in terms of that purpose? So, you know, mm-hmm. certainly in the UK, I would say probably 24 months ago, uh, DEIB would be really strong. I'm not saying it's not at the top of the agenda now. It should be, but it's it's lost a little bit, th- in my, my opinion, of its pace. That was there two years ago. We're now seeing a lot more attention being given to wellness at work, flexible working, which is slightly moving a little bit away. What are the trends you're seeing in the US? And what are you most excited about? And you know, how is how's the HR landscape <laughs> evolving stateside compared to how it is in the UK?
0: Yeah, I think that we're still very much invested in DEIB and in wellness and really this idea of psychological safety, like we discussed earlier. I think something that we're really focused on is making sure that people understand what they're doing for us here. So I'm sure for you, when you're recruiting, you share why companies are interested in a particular candidate, right? And that makes the candidate excited and want to go work there. Like I can add this value. We forget to re-recruit our own employees, leaders, really connecting the work that people are doing for the organization to that end result is something that I've seen that's missing and that companies are trying to do. So being able to say, gosh, that feature that you worked on, you know, really had this impact in our ability to sell to this customer and they love it for these reasons.
1: Yeah,
0: Having that brought to the table and really understanding the value that you personally are adding every day is so important. And not all leaders are adept at doing that. So that's something that we're really focused on is connecting the work to that end result and really having folks see their own value.
1: Nice. And last question before we open the vault then, you've you've 19 years in the world of HR, A (laughs) fantastic career, some really exciting challenges. And this is a big, big audacious goal we we'll go ahead for now. What would the world of HR look like for you in a perfect world? Nineteen years on from now. Oh
0: gosh! Um, as I'm sitting on a beach drinking a margarita, reflecting absolutely. on absolutely, yeah, my oh, HR I, yeah. Career, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, that's okay. By retired the way. by then. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you
1: just summed up my target, so that's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, I think what it would look like is having organizations understand that people are not robots, that they are going to bring their whole selves to work. Continuing with this idea of flexibility and not focusing on a presence culture. So, you know, you show up between the hours of nine to five, but evaluating the productivity and what the individual brings to the table and moving away from this idea of, you know, kind of micromanagement, but really working collaboratively, providing feedback consistently, and being able to communicate. So in my perfect world, people read their audience and they communicate in the way that others wanted to be communicated with. Yeah, nice. And leaders really understanding what HR brings to the table in terms of data analysis, influence, etc. So Excellent. All the things that are kind of bubbling up right now. Yeah, but for sure. But really I mean- having those come into full fruition.
1: I think Stephen Covey was on a show uh, with me not not too long ago. For those that haven't listened to it, check it out. But his whole show and ethos is about trust and inspire. Which is what you're saying there, less of the micromanagement, more of the trust. If you trust our employees, we'll inspire them to achieve great things. So I think I couldn't agree more. But listen, let's open the HR L&D Vault. If you're not familiar, this is uh, three short, sharp questions for you. Opening the L&D Vault first one is this if you could give one piece of advice to the world what would it be
0: talk don't ruminate go address situations
1: directly fantastic it it sounds so simple but we just don't do it enough right
0: we definitely don't and you know i can already think of this weekend times that i probably didn't even do it with my own kids so i think that's the most important thing
1: Great response. Love that. I'm not sure we've had that one before either. And it's so true. If you had the opportunity, what advice would you give to a younger you just starting out in this new world of work?
0: I would remind her that um, she can do it. She's capable not to let imposter syndrome silence her and really make sure that build on that confidence and those small wins.
1: Nice. I'm actually going to pause the third question just for a minute. I want to just, if you don't mind me asking, there'll be a lot of people listening to this thinking Meredith sounds confident. She's knowledgeable. She's vibrant. (laughs) You know, lots of energy. How could she possibly ever have suffered from imposter syndrome? Would you mind just expanding a little bit on, you know, that that, that area of that time in your life when perhaps you did struggle and how you came through that? Just, I'm not don't take us too far on a tangent, but I know that it's a big thing at the minute and people are struggling with this in the world of HR. And you seem to be, to be someone who's absolutely managed to tackle that demon and, and are are, 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 flourishing now. So if that's okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think I'm very good at hiding it. I still feel it today. I definitely even talked to my kids before this podcast and said, I'm so nervous. So I think how I've learned to work through it. And the most impactful things that I've learned is that You're not the only one, and I'm not the only one who experiences it. We're all trying to figure it out every single day. And I have a sticky note on my computer that says, your anxiety is lying to you. Because it's a constant reminder that you have to kind of push through. And something that really has helped me is having mentors or even colleagues I can talk to about it. You know, I fortunately am still close with my former team from my last company and I'll message them and say, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) I have no clue. And, you know, we all kind of support each other. So find your village to help you through those moments because none of us know what we're doing and we're all trying to figure it out every day.
1: Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And there'll be others out there, as you say, feeling the same way. I think it's a huge credit to you that you can reach out to your past team. I think that speaks volumes for both the HR leader that you have been in the past and for the HR leader you are now as well. I think you've shared some brilliant insights with us today. And um, yeah, uh, thank you for sharing. sharing. That's really, really powerful. Uh, Last question in the vault, Ben, is what is the guiding principle or behavior that you've seen in every great leader that you've worked with?
0: The great leaders try to treat everyone equally they don't jump to conclusions they ask the right questions and they come up with a fair response and result and you know just being open to that and not reactive I I love that.
1: It's all we can ever ask for, right? Someone that is fair and communicates, linking back to your first first thing. Absolutely brilliant. Well, look, if there are those that want to find out more about WorkRamp, as I said, an all-in-one brilliant NMS solution, uh, there will be a link in the show notes you can go directly to, which is Uh, workramp.com. You don't need to type it into Google. Go to the show notes. You'll see a link directly there. And of course, if anyone uh, wants to connect with Meredith, what she said today really resonates with you, I will also put Meredith's LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well, so you can reach out to Meredith directly. I want to say a huge thank you to Meredith Fish for joining me today on an insightful journey through the world of HR and LMS and learning and uh, development as well. Of course, if you are an HR or L&D professional listening to this show and need support with an HR or L&D related vacancy, then please do reach out to either myself or any of my wonderful team at jgarecruitment.com. And that link will also be in the show notes. Meredith, thank you so much been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on the HRL&D podcast. It's been wonderful. I've enjoyed every second. Thank you.
0: Likewise. Thank you so much for having me.
1: My pleasure.
2: Thank you so much for tuning in to the HR and d podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist, HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favourite podcast channels. Till next time.